Welcome into another edition of SEC Football and Beyond. I'm Neil McCready. Chris Landry here with me as well. As we were just talking about just for a few minutes there before we hit the record button, there is a lot to talk about today. And not all of it is, is particularly pleasant, but we, as Chris was saying just a minute ago before we got started, we knew going into this season that these stories would pop up here to there and uh, here and there, I should say, and, and indeed they have. Uh, so, Chris, uh, first of all, hello. How you? Hope you're doing well. I am doing well, and uh, yeah, it is going to be um, an interesting week, as it was an interesting weekend this past weekend, and we learned a lot. Now we're trying mm -hmm. to figure out how we're going to get this season in because we're we're getting into some difficult situations. It's looking like it's heading towards the worst single week. SEC wise, COVID wise, you know, for the SEC. So let's jump um, a little bit. Let's jump into it. Auburn <laughs> and Mississippi State, that game has already been postponed. Both of those teams had been able to get through the first, I guess, what, six weeks of the season unscathed. So they moved that game to December the 12th. So on its face, no big deal. Move the game December 12th. We knew games would get moved. That one got moved. Where we run into some problems here, Alabama is scheduled to play at LSU at 5 o'clock on Saturday. Uh, LSU has already had one game uh, due to Florida's issues uh, delayed. LSU and Florida were postponed. They're scheduled to play on December the 12th. So obviously LSU does not have an open date on December the 12th. And it appears that Alabama is destined for the SEC championship game on December the 19th. So that game, that date is not in play as of this moment. Uh, LSU, I am told, is very likely going to have to uh, postpone this one slash cancel this one slash I don't know what you do with this one, but uh, I'm, I'm told the likelihood of a game on Saturday is very low. You're there in Baton Rouge. You probably are a little more connected to it than I am. What are you hearing? Well, I know this. I know that the league, not that they – don't want to play every game, but they're going to do their darndest to try to get this game off because with all due respect to Auburn, Mississippi State, uh, or some other games on the schedule, uh, it's important, but this is really important. Um, they're getting a lot of pressure from CBS, one of their television partners. Yeah. So here's the thing. I mean, they're like, they're stuck with, well, let me, let me rephrase it. They've got the Masters, and then they're stuck with this lead-in game, which is not going to be very good to be to begin with. You know, it's not going to be the Alabama-LSU game of the past, but it's still programming, and, you know, so the partners are trying to figure it out. But there's really not a whole lot that well, they can I, do. Let's dive into that because you, you, you just quite, you nailed it. Here's the thing. CBS has had a plan for a while. We all know about best-laid plans, but CBS has had a plan for a while. They were uh, going to have the Masters this weekend. They are having the Masters this weekend. Saturday is the third round. Five o'clock Central, of course, means it's six o'clock Eastern, which means it's probably too dark at that point to play golf at Augusta National. So they were going to play golf all day on CBS, leading into this big, what has been a big rivalry game over the last, God, I don't know, decade or so. Mm -hmm. uh, this game has been huge. It, it's uh, the, the betting line on it's, 24 points right now but um regardless this is a game that most of the country has watched over the last few years and cbs was going to have a ratings bonanza on saturday they were going to have people watching the masters for the the novelty of the masters in november uh, leading into 
Alabama at LSU, Tiger Stadium at nighttime, all that stuff, right? And uh, so CBS, yeah, you're right. And and they're saying, hey, look, don't cancel this thing if there's a chance you can play it. Don't cancel this thing if there's a chance that LSU's got enough to play it. We're not really worried about the competitive part of this. We need the game. We're the ones that are paying you guys the bills right now. We need a little help. Yeah, and I think we're as we're doing this show live Tuesday morning. I mean, you got to really know by Tuesday. You've got they've got to make a decision within the league office today, yay or nay on this. But just for people that are aware, they're down to one quarterback. The tight end room is, you know, either infected or uh, or quarantined. You've got some issues potentially in the secondary and the offensive line. I mean, how bad um, those things are, you know. Yeah, just we're gonna have to see how this is. I, I I would say right now that the meter is less than 50-50 that they would be able to play it. But again, I'm gonna stress that for the reasons that Neil just mentioned. Um, there's gonna be a more of a concerted effort. Again, I'm not saying that they're not they don't try to play every game, but again, they're not going to sweat Auburn, Mississippi State like they're gonna try to sweat this. Right. This is a big deal. And Alabama even in a blowout game against LSU, Alabama fans will be watching every minute of it, and they're going to be really upset there if they can't play any Alabama game. And that's that's sure. huge. It's huge for for them. And let's not – it will not affect Alabama's playoff status. But, again, the SEC would really like it if Alabama and Florida, which are likely going to end up in the SEC championship game would both get their shot at LSU. But again, we're running out of spots. There's even been somebody suggested to me, and this is not going to happen, folks. Don't go say Landry said, no, there's even been talking, but could we switch it? And it was a half joke. Okay. I mean, it was a joke, but hey, could we switch? Because Mississippi State's the reason why Auburn can't play. Hey, can we and 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 LSU's the reason why um, <laughs> Alabama can't play? Hey, can we switch the Iron Bowl this week in prime time after the Masters so that we, you know, um, and it's not a in a in a twenty twenty. I wouldn't think it's the greatest thing, <laughs> but it's not going to happen. But you know, it's one of those things that you at least have to think about for five seconds. Who's healthy? Who can we put together? It's just not really doable, but I thought it was funny and I wanted to bring it up. So yeah, and the, I did it. the other problem for CBS is that there's no natural other game that you could move. I mean, for example, Georgia and Missouri isn't going to get a national audience at, at five o'clock central. Um, Texas A&M and Tennessee, which is another game we have to talk about from a COVID standpoint, that's not going to get a national audience. Arkansas, Florida is not going to get a national audience. South Carolina, Ole Miss is not going to get a national audience. There's no game to fill in for Alabama and LSU where you could just adjust times. I mean, it would be simple to say, hey, South Carolina, Ole Miss, you guys move up an hour and a half. Okay. Yeah, and and you know, I'm not an – CBS doesn't want that game after the Masters. That's not a build-up to that game. Yeah, and look, I mean – 
I'm not an expert on contract law with television contracts. I've done a lot of player contracts in the NFL, but I, you know, there's some financial issues for the league with this. You know, I mean, you don't have this game, you don't have the revenue that that affects it. So, look, there is no question that the the desire to play this is off the charts for the reasons that we mentioned. We just don't know we're going to have to let it play out. Neil just mentioned it. So AM had to shut down practices Monday. Now, what does that really mean? It's not overreact. I don't know. Not saying it's going to the AM Tennessee game is going to be canceled, but we need to find out is there any is there any there there? I mean, is there any issues there that um could maybe prevent that game from being played? So we're looking at the potential at this point of one game already off, one game looks bleak in one game that we just need to keep an eye out on within the league. And I would say that if I'm ranking the importance of the games, clearly, you know, Alabama, LSU, because it's Alabama, Florida, Arkansas, because it's Florida and, you know, Arkansas, that's it. But A&M too is, is, uh, is one that would be interesting. And um, it's certainly for their, pedigree and their ultimate goal they they need to be as impressive and play as many games as possible but no this is there's there's nothing we can do about it uh there's nothing anybody can do about it there's going to be a concerted effort to try to get as many of these games in for obvious reasons competitively financially we're just going to have to let it play out now what are you hearing about texas a&m by the way texas a &M uh, Paul's activities yesterday just that they paused activities on Monday. So what does that mean for Tuesday? What is the testing show? Uh, I think we're going to know today. I think today's the day that you need to kind of get a feel for it. Are there any problems there? If they're positive tests, how many? How does it affect it? Can the game still be on? Is it a full-on major problem? I think we're going to know that tonight. I, I, I would not classify that as... You know, I mean, it's a concern, but I wouldn't classify it in the same category as what's going on at LSU right now. It just seems like it just sounds like it's not as bad as it is what's going on at LSU. And uh, Sam Pittman, the Arkansas coach, tested positive, but I've not heard anything else about other problems inside the Razorbacks program. Have you? I have not. And um, just hope Sam's OK and, you know, have to deal with that. Uh, but, yeah, no, it uh, it just. It's just amazing, isn't it? It's it's the people keep saying, "Well, it's going to go away. It's going to go away. It's not going away. This is getting worse." And apparently, it's the weather that everybody forecasted that that's maybe contributing to this. But it's going to be an issue, and it's going to be an issue, and it's starting to affect uh, the SEC. So we'll see how this uh, we'll see how this plays out the rest of the way. And uh, I, I think it's going to be an interesting. The quote unquote eyeball test is going to mean more than ever before when you're looking at these teams because we're not going to be looking at teams playing the same amount of games, same amount of schedules. It's not going to be that way. You can't look at quote-unquote resumes. Resumes are going to be out the window this year. You know, I can't count how many times I've said in the summer that this was going to be a different kind of a year. Mm -hmm. This was not going to be a year about who won and who lost. It was going to be a year about getting to the finish line and getting your TV money because these schools are losing catastrophic amounts of money. It's a part of the story that, frankly, guys like me are failing to report because it's hard to get exact numbers and you don't want to be wrong. And uh, people are being very careful about inside athletics programs, about numbers and that kind of thing. But money is being lost 
in, in, in ways that are difficult to comprehend. And all of these schools, Chris, are going into this. Here we are. It's November the 10th. And as crazy as this sounds, people are starting to think, okay, well, what do we do about 2021? What does that year look like? Can we put bands in the stands in 2021? The big story in our country yesterday was vaccines. Are the vaccines going to be in place that allow uh, uh, us to fill up stadiums? Because if you're planning ahead for 2021, and believe me, they are, right now you can't count on that. And so there's – and the TV networks are, are looking at this and going, hey, you know, this was a novelty one year. Are we doing this a second year? What, what is this – what does this look like? What do schedules look like? There's just a lot here. This season, as much as we all, fans, media, all of us, want this to be about who are the best four teams and have a playoff and let's crown a champion, that's not what this season's about. It's, and it hasn't been about that in a long time. Yeah, we're going to crown one, and I think you know people have asked me, is it going to be an asterisk by it? Eh, you know what? I, look, um, somebody that can navigate through this and end up being – one of the best teams, um, you know, kudos to them. Let's, let's call it what it is. COVID, non-COVID, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson are three of the best teams in the country. I, I think now we'll get to it. I'm sure you have to throw Notre Dame into the mix. There's going to be a fourth team, and they're the leading contender right now for the fourth team. Maybe, you know, maybe third right now if you were to rank them, but uh, fourth the only reason why this is going to be an asterisk in my mind is if somebody, you know, outside of that group of the top three wins it and it's directly a result of one of those or those teams in the top three all have major COVID issues and we see, you know, and, and it's the best team that just was the healthiest because I, I think the best team is still going to be – the best teams are still going to be there regardless of how many games they play. Uh, I think that's going to be – but, yeah, it is a different way we're going to get to that point, and it's going to be uh, on a different time frame. But, man, a lot of big-time action this weekend. What a weekend. Yeah, what a weekend it was. Ooh. Really some interesting games. Let's get to some of those. We'll start with the the, the big one, of course, the one that we all look forward to, the one that um, we talked about a lot last week. Kyle Trask was absolutely fantastic. Uh, Florida was just on fire, really, throughout the game offensively. You know, we all we heard about all year was how great Georgia's defense was, and it had been up until Saturday. 44-28, to 28, the Gators win. Huge win for Florida. Kind of vaults them into the title conversation because they certainly are going to get an opportunity against Alabama in all likelihood on December the 19th. What were your takeaways from the Gators' standpoint with uh, with the win? Well, they were outstanding. Um, Georgia defensively and breaking down the tape clearly is going to take down, try to take out Pitts and Tony as best that they can, and to some degree it did. But they do have over the weapons, and uh, Florida really showed that. Uh, the the thing that stood out to me the most on tape was, and this is where I thought offensively, Florida had a great game plan of, you know, when you're, for people don't know, I mean, I know most of our fans are really sophisticated, but when you number receivers, you number it from the outside in. So number one, number two, what they did, Florida did, is did a tremendous job with motions to confuse Georgia. And I'm assuming 
had a lot to do with the guys that were not in the secondary that was normally account in particular is the guy that makes all the checks. Georgia had an awful problem of communicating who's number one, who is number two, because it changed. And that's why all those flat routes that turned into wheel routes were just devastating because Florida was not in a position to cover that. And it was big time play after big time play after big time play. And we talked about it that look, if it's a close game at the line of scrimmage, you know, then, you know, could go either way and advantage Georgia. But, the likelihood was that if there's a blowout, it's going to be Florida blowing out Georgia because once Florida got a lead, Georgia was incapable offensively of doing anything. They had guys open. Georgia still had opportunities to come back in this game, but you can see the ineffectiveness of Georgia's passing game time and time again. The rhythm, the timing, not there. Quarterback accuracy, not there. Bennett had the injured shoulder not real effective, went with Mathis, which, you know, it's, you know, Kirby's got some things to answer big time now. And I'm curious this week, whether we see JT Daniels or, you know, we learn a little bit more about why the heck aren't we. And if it's just stubbornness or it's the injury factors contributed to it, but they obviously hadn't prepared JT Daniels enough for a game like this. And my sense and my understanding from the coaching staff is that, Kirby has kind of believed, and look, we're going to win it our way, defense running game, and Stetson can protect the football, and that's kind of out the window. Now it's basically he's going to have to go to JT Daniels now. Can I interrupt you for a minute? Because something happened this morning also as a breaking story, not a big deal, but it's an interesting story. Uh, Newman, the quarterback from Wake Forest who transferred to Georgia and mm-hmm. then out, he's, he's going to the Senior Bowl. Yes. Accepted a bid to the Senior Bowl, which is yep. for, for those – for those that don't know, uh, for seniors, that's a, that's a big deal. That that bowl game has uh, – it's been this way for a long time, back dating back to my days in Mobile. An invitation to that is essentially a, a almost a guarantee that, that you are either getting drafted or very much on the board to get drafted, and the NFL wants to see you. So here's my question, Chris, and I, I know you don't necessarily know the answer to this. At some point, when you look at Georgia's quarterback play as a whole, because the assumption when it happened, when Newman left, was that, well, Daniels has, had come in and won the job, and he, he didn't, whatever. At some point, does this go on Kirby? Right? I mean, Oh, the, oh and it, it's, it's not some point. It, it does go on Kirby right now. Yeah, so th- their quarterback play is, is abysmal. It's the reason they've lost these two games. It's the reason that they're a good team and not a great team. It's the reason that they're not truly a contender this season, despite the fact that they have a very talented roster. At some point, answers have to come out, right, as to why Newman left? Because I don't think it's I don't think Newman left. I could be wrong. And I don't mean this in, in a in a incendiary way, but but COVID provides a a, a, a an excuse, if you will. And I'm not saying, I'm not minimizing it, but like Kylan Hill did not opt out of Mississippi State because of COVID concerns. I saw somebody report that. That's not why he left. Right. Um, maybe Newman did, but at some point people... I, 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 can tell you why Newman, I can tell you why Newman left. Okay. First of all, the narrative that he was beaten out is not true. There was nobody to beat out anybody. JT Daniels hadn't practiced. So you, you, you had no spring practice. 
JT wasn't cleared to practice. There was no beating out anybody. I mean, it wasn't, you know, you know, Newman didn't stay long enough to be beaten out is what I'm saying. Okay. Here's what it happened there. And then you're right. They use COVID as a cover. Jamie Newman, people in his camp, and we'll just kind of keep it as that people that friends of the family and people have said, look, you stay there. They're going to run the pro style offense. It's not a fit for what you do. You're better off just preparing with a quarterback coach and get ready and live off of what you did at Wake Forest, which was pretty effective, pretty effective because right or wrong. And I, I, I could take issue with that, that I think he could have helped himself with really good play at Georgia this year. I think he could have helped his draft status, but he was convinced that don't risk getting injured, you know, which is kind of the general thing, but more importantly, it's not the injury risk. It's not the COVID risk. It is don't risk getting in a situation where the offense, because it's a pro style offense that doesn't work and develop the passing game enough to hurt your draft stock. That's the reality of what happened inside. I'm aware of that. I I do a lot of work with Jim and I think he's very well deserving of getting a senior ball invite. You know, we got a committee that works on, I, I think he's, a really talented guy. I think he could have helped himself, but I'm a I'm a guy that wants guys to play, and the reality is that's why he left. So let's just kind of get that off the table. And now the kid's not going to come out and say that. I guess maybe it's not the nicest thing in the world that I said it, but I mean, I'm it, I, I think at this point it's pretty obvious what's going on. You know, Jamie Newman didn't not going to come out and say I I don't like the offense. I don't think yada yada yada. Well, the Jordan narrative and the media there and the fans there, well, he got beaten out. He's, uh, he, he really got beaten out by JT Daniels, and JT Daniels still can't beat out Stetson Bennett. And, and No, I mean, we know what's going on, It's and it's something that I mentioned last week, and maybe this is a, I don't know, a good thing, but this is a reality to Kirby that this is not working. And now your program, you know, you've got to take a hard look at it. And so this is the issue why, you know, Brock Vandergrift is a really talented guy. And he's the great young quarterback that's come. If you're going to continue to recruit good quarterbacks, they need to know that they're going to get developed. And that's got to change coming forward. And I think it needs to change now because the reality is their goals for the season, I mean, Florida's going to have to slip up big time for Georgia to get back in it. Yeah. You know, it's just right now they just need to win. And if they continue to not get through the rest of this season without developing and improving this passing game, then this season's been a wash for them big time because at least for Kirby in his eyes, had he pulled out that game last week, they still got all their goals. And in Kirby's mind, we could win it our way, the way I like to do it, the way I think is the best way to play. I think he's been slow to change, and I think he's going to have to now. And if he doesn't, then to your point, as I said before, this is an easy fix for Kirby. This doesn't look to me like Mark Richt. Okay, this looks fixable. But just because it's fixable doesn't mean that Kirby's willing or he has the know-how. And if he doesn't, well, then it'll continue to regress. But that's kind of how I read it.
says a lot about Florida, right? Sure. I mean, where they are today, they they lose that game very close against Texas A&M, could have easily won it. They could be in a completely different spot today, just change one drive in College Station back in, I guess that was what, early October, late September. I mean, you, you, you change that one drive and they're, they're in a different spot right now. Are they a team from what you see today, though? They're going to get their opportunity, it appears. Are they a team that could beat Alabama on a neutral field? No. No. I think they're good. Uh, I think that I, – I, I think you could put them on the field again with A&M. You could put them on the field with Notre Dame. I, I, I think they they could absolutely play with them. Look, anything can happen in one game. So all, all you care about if you're Florida is taking their business, getting your shot. They can score some points on Alabama, yeah. Yeah, they can. But that defense is – I mean – Alabama will light them up. And I, I would trust Alabama getting off the field against Florida's offense a little bit more than than I would Florida's defense. Florida's defense is still very limited. Don't don't get, you know, fooled by hey, they they shut out Georgia. Well, again, we just kind of di- discussed what Georgia is. Uh no, I, I don't I don't think they match up well against Alabama. I don't think they match up well against Ohio State. I don't think they match up well with Clemson. They, they just, they are a good team. But as I've said before, I still think that there are three teams that are elite. And I want to give a lot of credit to Notre Dame because even without Trevor Lawrence, that's impressive. I, I don't, I don't think Florida could have beaten Clemson. You know, you know, with DJ, you know, but, but I think they're. I think Florida is definitely amongst the groups I'd considered like for the fourth spot, but they're going to have to beat Alabama to do it. And I don't think they're going to be, able- if they do it, they're in they're, the sec champion will be in. And then, you know, it'll be about, all right, Notre Dame. If you're got one loss and that one loss is to Clemson, then it's going to be about Alabama and Notre Dame. But I, I don't see, I really don't like Florida's chance other than anything can happen on any given day type. I don't think they match up very well. You mentioned Texas A&M. They go to Columbia, South Carolina, and I think they won 1,048 to three. It was just 48 to three. I'm sorry. 48 to three. That game got out of hand quickly. A&M played incredibly well. South Carolina looked, uh, frankly, abysmal. Um, 48 to three. That's, first of all, kudos to the Aggies. They continue to roll. You nailed that from week one when um, I had questions about them in their game against Vanderbilt. You told me I was wrong. You have been proven to be right week after week after week. You've nailed the Aggies. They are a legitimately good football team. We'll get to them in a minute. Let's talk Let's talk about South Carolina, though. That That's the kind of beatdown that in a non-COVID year may have led to action on Monday. But it's a COVID, uh, it's a COVID year, and Will Muschamp's buyout is around $13 million. And without giving sources away, I can tell you that right now South Carolina doesn't have that laying around. No, they don't. Um, but it's fun to spend somebody else's money anyway, isn't it? So let me do that. Let me real quickly say I, I, I would see if there is a way that we could do it and we could raise money and what I would do simultaneously in a parallel mm-hmm. Session is go to Hugh Freeze and say, Hugh, yeah, there are opportunities. There may be other opportunities. 
I think South Carolina is the most unique job in the SEC. What do I mean by that? That's a vague comment. Yeah. They look and act like an elite program, meaning they fill the stadium. The atmosphere is unbelievable. They kind of do a lot of the things that big-time programs do that never won. And the expectation while they get frustrated and they don't like getting blown out and not being competitive, the reality is they love Lou Holtz. They love Steve Spurrier. And then neither one of the guys won a title. They won't get criticized for not winning a title. If You know, a coach will at South Carolina – and I, I think that's good. Whereas some places there's an expectation, and the expectation with reality is a is a Grand Canyon difference. So I would sell that Hugh, here's a great opportunity to come in. You can build your thing, do your thing. And, and I would again, that's easy for me to say. I can say it from a football standpoint and doing a lot of coaching search stuff that that's what I would do. But look, I mean, it's easier to say you got to pay for it. It's like saying, Neil, go go and uh, go buy two Mercedes today. I, I think it would be really good. Well, yeah, and you'd say, uh, Chris, I don't have that in my budget. I can't, you know what I mean? I'm sure. just being cute, but uh, you just, it's easy to say. And in this year, I don't know that many people, boasters are going to be willing to write checks as much as they normally are. But that's a mess that's going to have to be cleaned up. And I will say this that president at South Carolina come over from West Point, he kind of, he kind of is. I think they need to clean house. I think Ray Tanner is going to go out with them. So I, I think there's some work that's going to need to be done. I just don't, as you said, I don't know if they got the money to do it now. Here's what's interesting about them. They come to uh, Ole Miss. I cover the Rebels for those that don't know. They, they come to Ole Miss on Saturday night. As of now, that game's scheduled for 630. They go uh, back home and play Missouri and Georgia on back-to-back weeks. And they finish their season, at least they're scheduled to, on December the 5th at Kentucky. So let's play that out for a minute. <laughs> You're on to something on freeze, and I want to get to it. If you made me bet today, I'd bet that they lose at Ole Miss. I think Ole Miss is going to score on them. I think Ole Miss is decent enough defensively to pull away. I think they're going to lose to Missouri. I think Missouri's playing a better brand of football right now than South Carolina. They're going to lose to Georgia. And at Kentucky, they're going to have a hard time because it's hard to score on Kentucky if you don't have a diverse offense. And Carolina, here we are, six weeks in, searching for a quarterback. They're opening that back up, and three guys are competing. And you and I both know that when you're halfway through a season and you've got three guys competing for a quarterback job, it's because you don't have a quarterback. Correct. So let's say they lose three of those four games. That's... The pressure on them to make a change, they're going to be at that spot where all programs dread being, which is we can't afford – Ole Miss was at this spot last last November. We can't afford to make a change, but we're not sure we can't afford to not make a change. And almost every time when a program is at that crossroads, they gnash teeth and they have meetings and they look at each other and they soul search and they ultimately say – Let's make a change. It's the married couple that keeps going back to marriage counseling. And when the marriage counselor says, now look, both of you have to want this to work. Neither one of them are able to really say, yeah, you know, I'm really ready to work on this. 
they both are like, well, it's kind of her fault and it's his fault and it's fault. And, and it, 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 it doesn't work. And that's where they are. Now he, you know, he could go four and oh, and he could quiet this because Carolina would love nothing more than for Will Muschamp, who is a very good guy mm-hmm. and runs a good program. They would love nothing more than for Will Muschamp to kick this can down the road one more year for them financially and let them potentially get out of COVID, fill up Williams Bryce, get money back in the coffers. And then if it all goes to hell next year, you make a move. Well, and here's what you do to your boosters. I mean, look, you know, it's put up or shut up. So I, you be yeah. the booster and I'll be right Tanner. Neil, look, I get you. I mean, you can't say this publicly. You, you want to stroke the check? We can make the move. I can do a deal. I can bring in somebody. Yeah. But, you know, if we can't afford to pay him off, we can't afford to go hire somebody in, then you know what? Then. But you can't do that. You right. have to. You have to sit there and say we support fill in the blank coach. We really. You can't come out and say, "Yeah, this really stinks," and we're really not happy with Will. Um, we'd like to bring somebody else in, but we can't afford <laughs> to pay them off. I mean, nobody can do that. That's a PR. You can't. You, know, you just gotta. You just gotta. You gotta eat it up and say, "Look." I can do it. I can go and get another guy. You've got to come up with yeah. the money to allow it to happen. So you talk about Hugh Freeze, and I think that is the name that they'll pursue. Spartan Barton asked, do you think the SEC will allow Hugh Freeze back in? I can tell you that per multiple sources this year, yes. They would let him back. Yes, he is. can come back in. Here's why I think Freeze fits South Carolina better than he fits a lot of programs. You mentioned South Carolina. I think South Carolina is the Ole Miss of the East. It's kind of they've proven they can contend at times. It's hard. It's a little without difficult. the old tradition. Oh, Ole Miss, yeah, had great championship top five program in the fifties. South Carolina has never another, had that in another era, though. I mean, yeah, my, yeah, but South yeah. Carolina has never had that. Yeah. So, but here's but from a just a cultural standpoint, I think the two programs are kind of similar. That his past isn't going to be held against him at South Carolina the way that it would at, say, Auburn, where they sort of want an Auburn man kind of mm-hmm. thing. It's different there. The other thing is at South Carolina, I don't know how often you're going to dip into Mississippi and Texas and Arkansas and even Tennessee to recruit. And that's where Hugh Freeze is going to have a problem if he makes waves from a recruiting standpoint. Because if he gets into a bunch of battles with Ole Miss, with Mississippi State, with Texas A&M for recruits, some of those old records are going to pop back up and it's going to get a little embarrassing. And for the league standpoint, it's going to get a little ugly. At South Carolina, he's going to recruit a different area, and I don't think it will be as big of a deal. And he's a very good football coach. He's a very good offensive coach. I would be interested to see, Chris, if – because I thought this was his flaw at Ole Miss. Everybody talks about the massage parlors and and the NCAA stuff. Listen, the NCAA thing was a witch hunt. When you when you dive into that into that document, it's just not much there. Mm-hmm. The massage parlor thing was a personal failing. Um, I'm not going to be the guy that judges another man. It's not. We all we all have our our personal foibles. What I think hurt him more than anything at Ole Miss 
was his inability to keep a real quality SEC caliber coaching staff together. When he lost good coaches, he replaced them with inadequate coaches. I'll be curious to see, can he put the kind of staff together at South Carolina that you absolutely have to have to compete against Georgia, to compete against Florida, and quite frankly, to compete against Clemson? Winning at Liberty, and he's done a great job of it, is taking mediocre talent and competing against other mediocre talent. And Hugh's really good at that. But can you go get the kind of talent that you have to have to compete against Georgia and Florida and the rest of the SEC, knowing that Clemson's sitting there at the end of every single season, I don't know that his staff at Liberty even comes close no. to that. And this is my this is my my one question on freeze has nothing to do with massage parlors or call girls or letting r- offensive tackles sleep on your offensive line coach's couch. Has nothing to do with any of that. Has nothing to do with with uh, loaner cars because, quite frankly, that was the crap that Ole Miss got in trouble for. Anybody wants to take the the dive into it. It's can he put that kind of a staff together? Does he have those kinds of contacts in college coaching where people will come move their families to work for Hugh Freeze? Well, I think money will help that. I think South Carolina being in the SEC will help that. <clears throat> that is the most important thing. Well, I mean, it is amongst the – you've got to be able to be a good coach. He's got that. You've got to be able to recruit. I think he does that well. But I think the the third prong of being a really good head coach, and I've hammered it here a whole bunch, it's the difference between, say, Sam Pittman and Jeremy Pruitt, staff hires. Yeah. It's the difference, you know, between, you know, what's happened at Michigan, you know, with Jim Harbaugh. The staff hires hasn't worked well. So, yeah, it, it is important. Um, money will help some of that. Um, and, and, and I do think that there's there's, you know, that that is to be seen. What really is a big sell job for him is that he was successful at Ole Miss. I mean, you know, yeah, he pulled a couple of big upsets and he won a lot of games. Um, and again, I think if he were to replicate similarly what he did at Ole Miss at South Carolina, you know, it would lead to maybe because he can. You have to what I call up coach a little bit there, meaning you have to get more out of your players. He can do that. Sure. He can have an offensive style. That's going to, so I, I think he would be a really good hire. In fact, I do think he'd be a better fit there than, than he would be at an Auburn. Um, I, I do agree with that. And I, and I think even at a Tennessee where, you know, again, there's an expectation at Tennessee that you should win the East. Maybe not now, but they, they believe that. They don't believe that at South Carolina. Some people may do, but for the most part, they don't. So we'll see. I, for it, I they don't think, expect it. Yeah. You, you yeah, know, I just think there's a big difference. And yeah. look, I, I don't want to, I mean, I'm, I normally make it a policy to not be filling a job that's not already not open. And so we said financially may not be. But uh, it is something that is certainly a big win against Virginia Tech last week. Um, look. That's a more talented team at Virginia Tech, and he he he's done a really good job. And he's yes. you know he's and it, yeah, we're not talking about the Liberty coach. We're talking about the ex Ole Miss coach. He's coaching at Liberty not because his football acumen you know started there, and now he's taking that big jump. He's you know he's a guy that's proven in this league. 
So, look, I, I think to me it makes a lot of sense, but can they do it financially? Don't know. We'll see. Mississippi State, 24, Vanderbilt, 17. I'm embarrassed to admit that I flipped away from Georgia, Florida as it got out of hand. I was outside, was grilling a little bit, kind of enjoying a Saturday off, and I turned to this, and Vanderbilt scored, and I was like, well, I'll watch a little bit. And Vanderbilt damn near made this a football game. Um, kudos to the Commodores for competing. You've The other team that you've absolutely crushed since day one of – you and I doing this is Mississippi State. They they beat LSU to open the season, and a lot of people, self included, were like, "Wow, look at that!" And you said, "Forget it. This is all on Bo Pelini." And once other people figure it out, this is not going to work. And Chris, it hadn't worked. No, and it was ugly. It was an ugly performance. Now I know they were shorthanded to some degree with COVID. Look, I mean, it's it's a bad bad Vanderbilt team and it wasn't easy and it wasn't like I'm not going to sit here and say Vanderbilt threaten <laughs> you know because they don't threaten <laughs> but it wasn't like you know if was this that was a pillow, interesting this was a pillow fight though no it was a pillow fight it was like you know can Mississippi State screw this up well maybe there was a stretch there where I'm thinking oh maybe they've screwed this up enough, but just Vanderbilt couldn't like literally, you know, it's like walk through the door. It's there. There's a light walk to the light. And then Vanderbilt's walking down the dark hall again. And, you know, but <laughs> this is, a this was a, uh, this was an ugly game. It was really ugly. Um, it was bad. It really was bad. It was. Um, I don't even know what there else to, else to say about it. I mean, <clears throat> No, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta talk. We gotta talk about. Yeah, let's get to the one that I think's great. I watched this one. Um, I've got one daughter at Arkansas, another that's on her way, and so we uh, we had the hogs on in the house, which is the underrated story. I mean, Sam Pittman's getting a lot of credit for it, and I think he's done a good job. But Neil's daughter, yeah, she got this on the Fayetteville. She got this done. That's a very, very underrated part of this success. No, I don't, I say I, that I don't know. Neil's too modest to mention that. I'm going to just tell you yeah. that that very underrated part of this success story. Uh, normally, we would probably two years ago, we probably would not have had Arkansas, South Carolina on the TV in Arkansas, Tennessee instead of Notre Dame, Clemson, but we did. And this was a fun, interesting game. Tennessee dominated the first half, and you thought, it's done. Uh, Barry Odom made some adjustments. It appears Kendall Bryles made some adjustments. Felipe Franks was terrific in the second half. Uh, Arkansas's defense stifled Tennessee, and boom, you see the final, 24-13. to 13. Arkansas with a, a big feel-good win for their program in the middle of a feel-good season. So kudos to them, but the story here is Tennessee struggling yet again. And all the talk about the Vols are back and the Vols are ready to compete and the Vols are this and the Vols are that. No, the Vols are bad. They're not a good team. They're not an average team. They're a bad team. They just went to Fayetteville and played a an Arkansas team that look, plays its butt off. It really does. They, they compete. They are well coached. They're more talented in a couple of spots than they deserve credit for. But they've got a cast-off quarterback in Franks got a good back in Boyd. They've got a couple of receivers that are talented. They've got a, a kind of a young offensive line. Defensively, they're playing with a, a lot of backups. They the, the, the bumper pools are really hard nosed middle linebacker. They they've got some Love that name. 
Yeah, he's got a great name. They've got some pieces here and there, but this isn't an elite SEC team. Arkansas's not. Not in any way when you watch them play. And they dominated. They dominated the second half of that game, Chris. No, no, look, I've said it before, and I, and I want to make sure this is a, a compliment. I know it doesn't sound like it. Arkansas hadn't beat a, beaten a good team all year. But the story is Arkansas couldn't beat anybody for quite some time. Three years. What they're doing, yeah. What they're doing is, you know, beating teams because they're better coached and they're maximizing what they have. And they've done a phenomenal job. They really have. And I mean, this is this is a uh, this is to me amazing what they've been able to do. And I had a, I had a stat. I put this up into uh, LandryFootball.com notebook this weekend. And I, I thought it was really interesting. And I want to make sure that I get it right before I, before I get it. But, and I'm going to, I'm going to forget it here. I'm going to, I'm going to find it here in a second. But the biggest thing that I see is the Sam Pittman in six games to reach three SEC wins. Chad Morris didn't get one. Brett Bielema needed 18 attempts to get three, and Bob Petrino took 11. Six games for Sam Pittman. Make it easily be four and two right now. I mean, yeah, I know. know. But let's get to Tennessee. Yeah. All right. There's there's a theme here that I'm seeing every week, and this is alarming to me. You can always see Tennessee loses the third quarter every week. That is a sign of an ability, inability to make adjustments. Yeah. Um, wow. I mean, it's just, you know, they got dominated in the third quarter. No question about it. They were outplaying it, playing them. Um, Barry Odom reduced the front a little bit. <laughs> Tennessee's got no real answers from a coaching standpoint, a development standpoint. They're the best way I can describe them. They're a poor man's version of Georgia without the great defensive talent and with an offense that can't find out of its way unless they can run the football against someone. They're look, I this is this is a mess. This is a big time mess. And we know they've given an extension to Jeremy. And I don't know that, you know, other than Vanderbilt, there's not a guarantee win rest of this year they got AM, they got auburn and they got florida i mean not to say the least there's not i mean there's just one win that i think that's a certainty it's it's a big time mess it's a lot of frustration there's a lot of people hitting me up that's who they need to go and get aforementioned hugh freeze and do this and that philip's not going to do it philip's not going to admit he's wrong philip former is maybe the biggest problem they have at Tennessee from his manipulation behind the scenes to gain power, to gain control. It's been very, very political and it's to find a guy that kind of fits the political agenda. He has Philip wants it to be with his guy and his way. Philip wants to be the guy that, rides into the sunset is I'm, I'm doing this, I'm getting it and it's not working. And the only thing I'm wondering, I've already, already heard somebody say that if this continues to collapse the way it is, that 
you know, how quick before Philip starts to leak out that he didn't want to give him the extension, that it was the president that did and all that, because Philip has a lot of political stroke. I, I think it's going to begin to wear thin and thinner and thinner and thinner, because I, I think, again, this is part of this problem that they've had. And, uh, you know, I think Jeremy Pruitt lacks a lot of polish. I think he's a was a good coordinator, but his inability to hire and develop and work with the staff has been really troublesome. There was an other issue on the sidelines Saturday night. Um, one of the assistant coaches threatened to kick Jeremy's ass. Um, look, those are those are not ideal when you when you tell the head coach, I mean, I, there are a lot of head coaches. I want to tell, I'm going to kick your ass, but you don't do it. That, that tells me that there's, there's issues. We already know they've been one guy fired off the staff. It, it's Jeremy's known for being a problem on a staff when he was an assistant. He spent one year at Georgia that they still feel like it's three years. And that was a bad problem. And, you know, so look, when you're the head coach, you've got to make sure that the the plan is in place, that everybody understands their role, that you hold people accountable. You don't have to be Mr. Nice Guy, okay, far from it. But you got to have the command and the respect. And right now, it's it's – not working well, and he's got to fix that. And I don't know if he's got the polish to do it. He's going to need some help because they're not buying him out. He's coming back next year. But if that doesn't change, if he doesn't fix that, what we're talking about, we're talking about next year, a bigger problem. Because it's not about, you know, like we talked about Georgia. Georgia's not in a bad way. They've just got to fix it. They can't you know, it's not about going out recruiting a quarterback. It's about recruiting a quarterback and then having a way to facilitate that. Jeremy's got a lot of things that he needs to correct on his staff, in his program, and it's this, oh, he's recruiting great. Uh, let me remind you, they hadn't signed any of those guys. Their commitments, and they, so there's a, there's a lot of problems there. And I think, as we said, losing to Arkansas is really really bad. And by the way, going back to South Carolina with Will's situation, go ahead and lose to Ole Miss and Missouri. First year head coaches, you know, after getting blown out by AM, it's not that you lost to AM, that you weren't even competitive and, and, and get blown out by LSU and LSU hadn't done anything. The, the optics are looking really bad. And you know, Will's in a different situation. What? Seven years now. Yeah. Jeremy's third year, but it's not going in the right direction. We got some, you know, Mike's Mike Leach. I have concerns about his ability to get it done. I have concerns about Jeremy's ability to get it done. I, I definitely have, you know, beyond concerned about Will. Um, Vanderbilt's just a mess. Um, we got some programs in this league that are that are in bad shape. I mean, it's they they really are. Dealing with a lot of stuff. That's what it boils down to. You mentioned Ole Miss and South Carolina. That's one of the games on the schedule this weekend. We'll talk about it and other games in just a minute. First, let me tell you, this podcast also brought to you by Jupiter Security Systems. 
Based in Madison, Mississippi, Jupiter Security Systems provide your business with the help desk, allowing you to get software at a much cheaper price than you would pay going directly to Microsoft or the different cybersecurity services. Jupiter can set up remote monitoring on a computer regardless of the location. They don't see your data, but they'll know if malicious applications get installed on your computers. It also gives them access to your computers where their expertise can come in and replace, frankly, your stupidity hand raised. Uh, Jupiter has helped me tremendously. We're doing lots of streaming at MPW Digital, um, dealing with a lot of different, um, I guess, software, Ecamm, YouTube, SoundCloud, um, Adobe Audition. That's got a lot going on, basically, on my computer. And at times, um, there's user error, error, I should say. And uh, Eric and the people there at Jupiter, they can help me out. They can help you out the way that they help me out. 601-519-9583 or email info, info, at jupitersecurity.net. We're also brought to you by Blue Sky. Blue Sky believes in being fast, fresh, and friendly through the thoughtful layout and cleanliness of their stores. Blue Sky hopes to provide customers with a fast and easy buying experience from services to products. Blue Sky plans to keep things fresh. They always provide the freshest flavors of their brand name products and the best services available. They even bring in some of the newest products on the market to their stores to provide an even better customer experience. A smile can say it all. And at Blue Sky, they want to show you that they care about their customers and their shopping experience. They'll always strive to improve their efforts to accomplish exactly that. So check out Blue Sky today at any one of their 48 store locations across the Southeast. All right. So, uh, Chris, I'm not even sure what games are kind of on the schedule this year. This week, I just created a banner, and I think I just lost the whole dang thing. So yeah, a, well, I think the big one, I think the big thing is I'm curious this week. Here's what I'm looking for. I'm looking to see what Georgia does at quarterback. The Georgia-Missouri game is intriguing for that reason. Um, I can't sell you Vanderbilt-Kentucky in any way possible. Um, A&M Tennessee is a train wreck waiting to happen if, if they play it. Auburn Mississippi State is a no go. Um, Alabama LSU may be a no go. It's about how much the, Alabama wants to win this game by. Arkansas Florida is, you know, it's the best team. Well, Arkansas played Florida. Uh, I, I played Georgia, but it's it's a it's a the second good team that they've played. And I'm curious to see how they respond to it. And then South Carolina Ole Miss is intriguing because for the, the reasons we talked about, um, you know, with will not that winning this game saves it, but boy, losing it just makes it tougher and tougher for what we just spent a good bit of while talking about. So yeah, there's some intrigue with it this week's action, but you know, the concern is that we're, maybe going to lose. We've already lost one game and maybe might lose a couple of more and that could be, be difficult. Have we got some questions? Any, yep. uh, let's see here. Sippy Sippy's sports show wants to know what your thoughts are on, on who misses who Southern Mississippi should hire. You know, it's a really good question. Uh, I think it's a good job, not a great job. I don't know, um, that they, I think it's going to be an assistant from what I understand. It'll, I think it'll be a bright young assistant, I don't think that they'll be able to uh, to get somebody uh, necessarily that's a proven head coach, even at any level uh, at this point. That's my sense from talking with them. 
Yeah, I've said this for a while. I think there's a natural guy for them to hire. Uh, he's been at Ole Miss for gosh, 13 years now. Derek Nix, former USM running back. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been on Houston Nutstaff at Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. Freezes, Matt Luke's now he's with Lane Kiffin. His knows, name's come up. Knows the state extremely well. Uh, would be able to put together a young staff because he's not going to have a lot of money to work with. You talked about free, right. you know, being able to get money to take to to get him over one of his weaknesses. Well, Nick's wouldn't have that, but I don't think that would be a weakness for Nick's. He's coached with a lot of good young GA type coaches looking for their first opportunity. I think he could put those guys together. Solid guys going to recruit Mississippi hard, JUCOs, all that stuff. When why not, right? When you're at the bottom, you kind of you can take a little bit of a gamble. Derek's not going to take the program any lower than it is today, uh, he, and he might take it to a higher level. And if he did, he's not leaving you. To me, he just makes a ton of sense. Uh, he's a really good coach. He's somebody I know that's on their list, and I think he'd be, he'd be a, do a really good job. He'd fit a lot of the profiles for number of the reasons that you mentioned and again it's a good job but it's it's you know not a job that's going to attract a lot of sitting head coaches even at any level uh and so somebody that understands that understands the area would make a lot of sense uh jay skipworth wants to know since we brought it up earlier do you see rhett lashley making the head coach move this year or will it take another year uh, uh, it, it depends on the opening um like for example there's a guy that would be a really good fit for Southern Miss. But I don't know that he's going to take a job like that. So I think he may um, – I mean, I think he, I think he'll take a job on that level, but I think he may go in a little bit of a different direction or wait. Depends upon how many openings. If there's not many openings, Jay, then that's going to reduce where you might want to go. Um, so, yes, I think he's – I think for him, he needs to look at it because he's done a great job with Derek King. But, you know, you might want to do the Joe Brady move before Joe Burrow, you know, before you, you have to coach without Joe Burrow. If he can get the right opportunity, I think it would behoove him to take it. I just don't know if that's going to come this year for the reasons we mentioned. We didn't talk about Clemson-Notre Dame. Don't have a lot of time left. It was a great game, very entertaining from a from a, just a fan standpoint. Uh, at the end of a long day to watch that double overtime right before I fell asleep was a lot of fun. Um, if Clemson wins the rematch in an AS- ACC title, does Notre Dame become the four? Yeah, they are. Um, they're going to be ahead of a one-loss A&M, and they're – you know, the, the, the issue, the only issue that would dispute that would be is if the unforeseen happens and that Florida upsets Alabama, then you're dealing with Alabama versus Notre Dame. And you're looking at, I think Alabama would, would have the edge there, but I do think it matters how it looks and how they play and how competitive they are against Clemson. Um, with Trevor Lawrence in the ACC championship game, if Alabama loses, then, you know, um, to, to Florida, how does it look? What are the circumstances? I think those things matter. But, uh, yeah, I do think they're in better position. They're, they're going to be ahead of A&M, and certainly they're going to be ahead of a two-loss Florida that won the East, and there's no doubt about that. Yeah, it's amazing. He, he's done a really good job at Notre Dame. He, he's he's there are, a, lot, a lot better than people know. Yeah, there are things that that work against you there that that really can't be overcome. And it, rather than complain about it and moan and groan about it, he's just sort of adjusted to it. And 
I think he's kind of maximized what Notre Dame can be in the current era. Absolutely. Look, in 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 portions of time in the Notre Dame era, the good fathers have, and I say this as a Catholic, the good fathers have given the reins up a little bit and let the, let Lou Holtz bring in the Tony Rices and Jerome Bettises of the world that were not the academic guys. And but there are a lot of things that Notre Dame people don't understand. Got to take calculus as a freshman. I don't care what curriculum you're in. Uh, you, you can't hide people on campus in a curriculum at Notre Dame. Your discipline comes from the university, not there. Um, you got to live at a, surf, a, a specific place on campus in a dorm. It is a lot. Notre Dame is more like Stanford with more restrictions. And yet, you know, people think that Notre Dame should be competing for championships, national championships. They, they should not. They can't recruit the same type of players that Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama do. A lot of those guys can't go to Notre Dame. I think he does a fantastic job. Now, for him, when he's ready, I mean, an NFL job, maybe, maybe would he want to leave and go? So, I mean, doesn't appear that he does. But I would be interested if uh, if uh, if a great job came open to where he can go and recruit and compete for a national title. I think the fact that they've made it in the BCS era, it's you're so right. It is so difficult. And, you know, if Stanford were doing it, if Northwestern were doing it, Notre Dame's got more of a national profile. I get that. But the academic side of it is a lot more to those schools. And yet it's kind of we expect Notre Dame to be like Alabama and Clemson. And they're not. And yet they're competing on a level. I don't think he gets enough credit personally. And that's maybe because people don't like him, but it's fine. We will come back on Friday and tell you about the games that hopefully are still left on the schedule as we uh, as we wrap up here on a Tuesday morning. That's one of the things about when you put something on tape, you you sort of just hope that it stands the test of time. And today, it might not on a couple of occasions, but there's nothing we can do about it. So thanks to everybody in the stream, a lot of you, Retro Jordan. Uh, Jay Skipworth, I, I can't even, I don't even know how to scroll up and see all the others. Yeah, I'm a, I appreciate that. I'm going to try to answer some of these if I can. If I don't screw it up technologically, guys, drop me an email and I'll address it on the Scouts Eye or one of the others. But we appreciate all the questions, all your support, all the, if you, you're cheering for bits, follow us and I'll get all those questions answered somehow, some way here. Yep. So uh, for Chris Landry, I'm Neil McCready. That does it for this episode of. SEC Football and Beyond will be back on Friday at 9 a.m. Get you ready for another weekend in the SEC and elsewhere. Until then, stay safe. Take care.